0: We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And yet that doctrine is being challenged in our day, maybe like never before. Uh, There are people who don't believe it. Listen, if you don't believe that you're saved by grace, if you're putting your stock in some self-improvement program, both sides of the Bible are crystal clear you will never meet the living God in His grace.
1: Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl is currently in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14, where he highlights for us that James is a man who wants to instruct us, but with the view of taking that instruction and putting it into practice. Let's join Pastor Carl as he begins his message.
0: Would you take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the letter of James, the second chapter. If you're joining us for the first time, you'll be interested to know that we've been working our way chapter by chapter through this short little book. It's only 108 verses, and many of you have told me you're reading it once a week as we are in this for several more months to come. This epistle that God has given us is given by a very practical man. He's a man who wants to instruct us, but with a view towards taking that instruction and putting it into practice. He's not interested in stained-glass theology. He's interested in grass-stained advice. He wants you to take what you believe and put it into your behavior. He wants your creed to match your conduct. In a word, James is interested in a faith that behaves. Now, if you read the book in one sitting, which I want to encourage you to do if you've not started, it will only take you around 12 to 15 minutes. And as you read it over and over and over again, you will see that this particular section that we are in today is really the heart of the whole epistle. Now, if you know anything about me, then you know that I believe with all my heart that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And yet that doctrine is being challenged in our day, maybe like never before. Uh, There are people who don't believe it. Listen, if you don't believe that you're saved by grace, if you're putting your stock in some self-improvement program, both sides of the Bible are crystal clear you will never meet the living God in his grace. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. That's God's heart. We just read that his ways are not like our ways, and it was in the context of forgiveness. And yet there are people who are muddying the grace of God. N.T. Wright, a so-called theologian, has now put a different spin on how a person is justified. I call him N.T. Wrong. He's just wrong in some of the views that he is propagating. Mormons. We had four Mormon missionaries one night in a meet-the-pastor, and they brought up this very text of Scripture. They love to use it to say that, no, the evangelical faith is wrong. That you're not saved by grace alone through faith alone. That good works help the process. Add to that, we have the new social justice movement, which is nothing new. It's just the old 19th century social gospel that Rosh and Bush introduced to the American church. That God's purpose through Jesus is not to change a life, but to change society. That he didn't come to save sinners, he came to save the world, the culture. Nothing could be further from the truth. Add to that, you have aggressive Roman Catholic theologians like Carl Keating, who teaches that the gospel that we preach is a distorted gospel. He was once an evangelical, left the evangelical faith, and gave himself to Roman Catholicism, and now denies the very faith that he was raised on. And in his book called Catholicism and Fundamentalism, that's how he refers to us as a fundamentalist. Listen, historically the term fundamentalist was a great term. It was used at the turn of the last century to distinguish those who had embraced liberal theology from those who believed in the fundamentals of the faith. And so they were called fundamentalists. Today, obviously, it has a different connotation. But in his book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, he says this of evangelicals. They say that, we say, he writes, that all true Christians, regardless of how they live have an absolute assurance of salvation once they accept Jesus Christ into their hearts as their personal Savior. But is that really what evangelicals believe, or is that a straw man? Now again, if you know me, you know I believe with all my heart that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And yet the title of this morning's message there on your outline is not by faith alone. And the title comes directly from our texts of Scripture, from James chapter 2 and verse 24. Let's begin by reading our passage. I hope you have a Bible. If not, you should come to meet the pastor, and by God's grace, we'll give you one. James chapter 2, beginning now in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? For brother or sister who is without daily clothing and in need of daily food. And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled. And yet you do not give him what is necessary for the body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And now verse 24, where the sermon title comes from. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, as you read and reread this letter, you discover that James is writing to a group of people who prided themselves on an orthodoxy, but they lacked orthopraxy. And so the big idea of the whole epistle, but especially this, the heart of the epistle, is that our beliefs should match our behavior. And if we really believe that Jesus is God in human flesh, if we believe that God is gracious, if we believe the Bible is true, if we believe that God will judge us based on what we've done with Jesus, then our conduct will somehow sync up with our convictions. And so James is writing about a person whom he has said in chapter 1 thinks himself to be religious, but he's really not. He wants to take the person who is a professing believer and ask them to take a hard look at their life. Does he have a baby faith or does he have a mature faith, as he writes to Christians as well? Is it a real faith or is it a pseudo faith? Is it a professing faith or is it a real life-changing possessing faith? Is it just a sane faith or is it a saving faith? And so again, this section in my judgment comprises the heart of the epistle. And it's one section of scripture that you need to be able to take apart and examine and explain, because if you haven't encountered it already, you will, as you evangelize people. And you will meet people, too, who need this epistle because they have a false assurance of salvation. People who say one thing, yet do another. People who claim they are Christians but really are not. People who think they are saved but they are really lost. Now, as you can see from your note taking outline, I've divided this section as James divides it into two portions. In verses 14 through 17, James deals with a faith that is worthless. And then in verses 18 through 26, he deals with a faith that works. One is saving faith, the other is pseudo-faith. One will lead you to heaven, the other will lead you straight to hell. So let's first examine a faith that is worthless. When you study this epistle, you immediately pick up on the fact that this man is an incredibly logical thinker. He's a great communicator. And so the Spirit of God chose to use his personality... To inspire this short little letter. And of course, in this particular section, like he often does, he presents an argument, he then illustrates the argument, and then he applies it to our lives. And again, his purpose is so that we will not miss what the Spirit of God wants to say, and so he does it not only once, but he does it twice. And I hope you're listening Because Jesus said at the judgment, there is not going to be a few, but there are going to be many who profess to know him, who have an orthodox theology, but who have never really been changed. And they are in for the shock of their lives when he says, I never knew you, depart from me. So James is going to ask and answer the question, what is the relationship between faith and works? What is the relationship between your creed and your conduct? What is the relationship between your belief and your behavior? What is the relationship between a faith that is worthless and a faith that works? So let's consider first the argument as it is presented. That's where we want to start, the argument as it is presented. Point A on your outline if you're taking notes. Now to introduce his argument, James asked two rhetorical questions that demand not only an answer, but a careful, thoughtful analysis. Question one is found in verse 14. He asks, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Underline the word says in your Bible. He's describing a man who has words without works. And so he asks the question, what use is it? The ESV renders it, what good is it? And of course, the anticipated answer is, it's not any good. Question number two also comes here in verse 14. Can that faith save him? Essentially, he is saying, can that kind of phony faith save him? And of course, his answer is, no, it cannot. Now, in Greek, there are several different ways in which you can form a question. In one structure demands a positive answer, the other structure demands a negative answer. James is using the latter structure here. He frames the question in such a way that the answer is absolutely not. That kind of phony faith cannot possibly save him. It doesn't matter how loud, how often a person may repeat it, it is still a phony faith. Now, please understand the Bible is crystal clear that salvation is not merited. The Old Testament teaches that, the New Testament teaches that. There are many today in the world who are trying to be saved by obedience to the law. The law is God's schoolmaster to lead you to faith in Christ. It was not given to save you, it was given to condemn you. It was to show you that there's a problem on the inside. And so Paul will affirm in Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is a gift, and like any gift, it's not merited. It's not earned. Someone else pays for the gift. It's free to the recipient someone else paid for your salvation. It's free to those who receive it by faith. And so, the Bible nowhere teaches some kind of self-improvement plan. In the book of Ephesians, Paul will write, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It, meaning this whole by grace through faith process, salvation, is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one should boast. And so when a person truly receives Christ as their Savior, When an individual by faith receives the gift of God, eternal life, they become a new creation. They become a new person on the inside. And with that new nature, they want to please and serve God, not to earn his acceptance, but because they have it. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live holy and righteously in this present age. Faith... Spiritually speaking, obviously is invisible. I mean, just look at me. Can you see my faith? Can you take a scalpel somewhere and cut me open and say, there it is? No, you cannot see it. You cannot see it in the conceptual realm, but you can see it by what it produces. And by the way, Jesus makes this exact same argument. James' half-brother no less received it from the Lord, and the Spirit of God inspires him to write about it again. Hold your finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 9 for just a moment. Matthew is a Jewish gospel. It's written to Jewish Christians to give them a polemic to defend to their fellow Jewish brethren why Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah written of in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 9 And notice, if you will, verse 2. He's in a place called Capernaum. And God willing, we're going to Capernaum in the fall. It became the hometown of the Lord Jesus, raised in Nazareth. But Capernaum becomes the place, his headquarters, for a three-plus-year ministry. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your heart? There is a picture, a snapshot of his omniscience, because as God, he was able to read, yes, even their thoughts. Now notice the question he asks in verse 5, which is easier to say? Circle that word say. We've been seeing it here in our epistle that James has given us. Which is easier to say? your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk, which is easier? How would you answer that question? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how in the world would you know whether or not it's true? But so that you may know that the son of man, one of the messianic titles given in the prophet Daniel, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. In other words, Jesus does what they can see so that he can prove what they cannot see. And that's precisely as James's argument. Don't tell me show me. James is writing to tell us that while faith is invisible, it ought to show itself in a very construct, visible way. A private faith ought to show itself somehow publicly. And if it never does, then it's a phony faith. It's a pseudo-faith. It's not genuine faith. The Protestant reformers taught it in this way. People attribute this to Calvin, but you can find it nowhere in his writings. But you can certainly, they quote him as saying it, but show me, if anyone listening online, anywhere in the world, if you can show me the place, I would love to know because I've yet to see it, and I've read his institutes cover to cover. But nonetheless, you are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Now, you might not be able to find a Protestant reformer who can say those exact words, but they taught that, that you are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. The doctrine of sola gratia, sola fide, you see two of the five solas on the stained glass window behind me. Those are biblical doctrines formed in Latin, grace alone, faith alone. And if you have a true faith in the Lord Jesus, it will not be alone. It will change your life. And so the title of this morning's message. May I remind you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've seen it even more in the last week, that the world around us is weary of words. They've seen every rhetoric show coming down the pike of people who say they are Christians, but they are starving for reality. They're looking for a man, a woman, a teenager who not only says what they believe, but they live what they believe. So that's the argument as it is presented. Second there on your outline, let's think about the argument as it is illustrated. James now takes the premise of verse 14, namely that a faith that is invisible cannot save, and he illustrates it with a hypothetical situation. Follow along here in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, there it is again, underline that word says. He's talking about profession. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body. What use is that? Let me bring the illustration to our day. You've had a hard day at work. You've come home. Your wife has prepared a great spread. You've had a good meal. You're ready to sit down in that fat overstuffed chair to rest and to read a good book. And suddenly, just as you get into the novel you're reading, the doorbell rings. And you think, oh my, who is that? My shattered nerves, why are they always bothering me? You get up. And you answer the door, and it's a brother from the church. And it's cold outside. It's 10 degrees with a windshield of two below. He has no coat on. And he says, my friend, I wondered if you could help me. I don't have a coat. I could really use one. I don't need anything fancy or new. If you've got something out in the shed, just anything, could you please give me a coat, something to cover myself up? You piously raise your hand and say, let's pray about it. And you say, be thou closed. And you slam the door. So you go back to your overstuffed chair and you start reading again. And when you believe it, the doorbell rings again. Oh boy, what do these people want? They're always bothering me. And at the door is a sister from the church with a little baby in her arms. And she says, I hate to disturb you. But me and my baby, we just haven't eaten today. And we're wondering if you might mind sharing a little food. Oh, nothing fancy. Just some leftovers. Just a little something to hold us over till tomorrow. And once again, you get very religious. You say, well, let's pray about this need. And with that religious piosity, you raise your hand. You close your eyes. And you say, be thou fed. And you slam the door. And James simply asks... What kind of faith is that? What good is it? What does it profit? And of course, his answer is, it's not any good at all. Can that kind of faith save him? Can that kind of phony faith bring him into the kingdom of God if it has no works? And of course, his point is, no, it's an empty faith. Those are empty words. That empty words do not fill empty stomachs, and pious statements do not clothe cold backs. A declaration, a profession without a changed life is a phony faith. That's all it is. Now, I want you to pick up on three clues that are very important in these two verses. The first observation I want you to notice is that the illustration that James makes concerns a brother or sister in the Lord. He's not speaking of just anyone who shows up at your front door because he wants to drive home the point is dealing here with a brother or sister, with a fellow member of the body of Christ. Now, certainly the Bible does not limit our compassion to our fellow Christians, but it certainly puts a focus and an emphasis on there. Paul will say, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. By the way, the Apostle John echoes the same truth in his first epistle. Listen to these words. He says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, talking about Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. You see, when you become a member of the body of Christ, you assume an unlimited liability to every member of the body of Christ. So here in this verse, there's a second observation I want you to notice. He's talking about someone without adequate food or clothing. See the word there, food? It's the Greek word gumnos. It's typically used in the Greek language, or the word, excuse me, for clothes is gumnos, and it's used of someone not who's stark naked. Now, I know the Old English translates it naked, and it technically can be used in that way, but context provides the meaning, and clearly he's not speaking of someone who's stark naked, though understand in the 17th century, the British people, would understand that it could carry different meanings. We maybe not so much today, but he's describing someone who's not fully clothed, someone who's lacked covering. And so he is also speaking of someone in need of daily food. And again, the word that is used is not speaking of someone who's in the realm of starvation, but someone who is out without the daily supply of food. In fact, you might want to circle the word need in verse 15. I have it circled in my Bible here. And then the word necessary in verse 16. James is talking about the basics. He's not talking about a person who doesn't have a nice car or computer or the latest electronics or cell phone. He is talking about the absolute essentials of life. Third, I want you to see that he is describing a continual plight. He uses what the linguist would call a present active subjunctive, which means it indicates a a problem that has been going on for a period of time. Now, that's the context of his illustration. So having presented the argument in verse 14, the illustration here in verses 15 and 16, he now applies it in verse 17. So we come now to the argument as it is applied. Verse 17 says, even so, here's the application, even so, if it has no works, it is dead being by itself. See, the person who sees one in plight and simply says, be warm, be filled, God bless you. He only has a verbal faith. It's not a real faith. You might want to underline those two words by itself. That's critical. He's speaking of someone who has a mere profession because that which does not produce a changed life is a dead faith. It is lifeless. It is unable to save. Listen, not all faith is what we would call, quote-unquote, saving faith. Some faith is pseudo-faith. Just like some gospel preaching is phony gospel preaching. When Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ." Paul says some are preaching a different gospel, but it's really not gospel because there's only one gospel, there's only one true gospel, but like he says to the Corinthians, there are men out there preaching who are preaching not Jesus, but another Jesus, not the one that is represented in Scripture. Likewise, there are people, James is arguing, who say they have faith in Jesus Christ, they say they are born again, they say they are saved, they say they are on their way to heaven, but they are really not. It is a dead faith. It is intellectual only. It is in the mind. They may know the doctrines of salvation but they've never submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Real faith always brings a changed life. So that's his first argument you're with me a faith that is worthless second in verses 18 through 26 he presents a different argument not a faith that is worthless but a faith that works
1: a faith that works people may know the doctrine of salvation but they have never submitted to the lordship of jesus christ if you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety go online to search the You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 006. You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling, or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays a very important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will continue his message from the book of James. Join us then as we search the scriptures.